Ten-year-old Jack's riding along with his dad, and he says, Dad, do you believe in the Bermuda Triangle? And Dad says, well, son, if you believe, or if you're asking if I believe it's an actual place, yes. If you're action, asking me if I believe that there's all kinds of mysterious events that take place there, no. Why do you ask, son? Jack said, well, I believe in it. And he said, well, son, why do you believe? He said, well, I was watching Scooby-Doo the other day. Now, you've got to stop right there, because if Scooby-Doo is where you're getting your information about something, then it's not probably not very wise. We've been talking about wisdom for the past couple of weeks. I found some wisdom this week that I thought I would remind you of. And this doesn't come from Scooby-Doo, although it does come from Yogi Berra. Now, I didn't say Yogi Bear. This is Yogi Berra, the baseball player. Remember him? Famous baseball player. He was uh, 19 years with the New York Yankees, 10 World Series championships, Hall of Fame player, went on to be a coach and a, and a manager for MLB teams. But he used to have these sayings. Some people said they were very wise. Like probably one of his most famous is this. It's like deja vu all over again. Think about that one for just a minute. Or how about this one? He's famous for saying, a nickel ain't worth a dime anymore. Got to think about that one. This one I like. If you don't know where you're going, you might end up someplace else. Now, that is very true. And then he said, this, the future ain't what it used to be. Somebody asked him why he no longer went to Brigieri's restaurant in St. Louis, where he was from. Here's what he said. Nobody goes there anymore because it's too crowded. <laughs> or how about this one? He was given directions to his friend Joe Garagiola, another baseball player, to his New Jersey home, which was accessible by two routes. And Barra said this, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Okay, great wisdom. I like this one. Half of the lies they tell about me aren't true. I, I, I could say that one. Half of the lies y'all tell about me ain't true. How about this one? Uh, just a general comment about baseball. 90% of the game is half mental. 90% is half mental. It gets late early out there. I'm still thinking about that one. Yogi's wife, Cameron Barra, asked him, she said, Yogi, you're from St. Louis. We live in New Jersey. You play ball in New York. If you go before I do, where would you like to be buried? Yogi said, surprise me. <laughs> and probably his most famous of all, it ain't over till it's over. But, you know, some of these are pretty wise, but I, I don't know if... Scooby-Doo or Yogi Berra is the place to get the wisdom that we need as we go through life. Those things make us laugh and make us think, but God has some wisdom that can really help us. And so we started this series a couple of weeks ago, Wisdom for the Journey. And we've been looking in at what is called in the Bible the wisdom literature. It's those books in the middle of the Old Testament, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, 
Song of Songs. And we've been through a number of messages. This is the seventh now where we talked about being blessed for the journey. And we talked about trusting God for the journey and a light for the journey and the big question for the journey and wisdom for life's journey and the meaningless journey. And today we're going to close with a message called A Song for the Journey. And that's what we've got here today that we're going to look at is this song. It comes out of a book in the Bible, the last book in the wisdom literature. It's called Song of Songs. It's another one of King Solomon's writings. It is a beautiful writing that we're going to look into and kind of study and see what, uh, what God has to say to us. And you know, it really has something to do with that about marriage. Now, marriage is one of the most important relationships that you will have if you ever get married. Um, you know, relationships are amazing things. Relationships are one of the greatest blessings we will have in this life. Relationships can also be one of the greatest challenges that we will have in this life. And especially the marriage relationship. Marriage can sometimes be tough. I think part of that is because we don't have any experience at it. I mean, we, we listen to what people tell us, and then we jump right into marriage, and we're expected to get it right. And it's sometimes tough. You know, most of the time you get your training for, for marriage. Maybe you read some stuff. But a lot of times you get your training for marriage by watching your parents. And if they had a bad marriage, then you're, you, you don't know how it's supposed to be done right. If they had a really good marriage, what happens too often is that you start comparing your new spouse to your mom and dad, and you say, you're not doing good. You're not like my dad, or you're not like my mom. And so you go into it with no experience. It's tough. But God brings us something here in the Scripture to help us at least recognize that marriage should be this wonderful relationship between a man and a woman, and it should be something that we work at as we go through our lives. There's a little bit more to the message of this book, as we'll see, than just about marriage. I heard about this one woman. Her husband died, and, and uh, she went down to put the obituary in the paper, and the obituary editor said, Ma'am, it's 50 cents a word. And she said, all right, just put Fred Brown died. And he said, ma'am, we have a seven-word minimum. She said, all right, put Fred Brown died, golf clubs for sale. That's kind of sad if you think about it. You know, that, that, there's no real grief going on there. And a lot of times marriages get caught up with all this, you know, petty arguments and things and people or back and forth. One woman and man were having an argument back and forth. And finally, in a conciliatory attitude, the woman said, Okay, stop. I'll say I'm wrong if you'll say I'm right. He said, Fine, ladies first. She said, Okay, I'm wrong. He got a big grin and he said, You're right. <laughs> you know, we've got to work at this thing we call marriage. And it should be no surprise to us that God addresses and today we're going to look into this as we see a man and a woman sharing a great love that they have for one another in what we call the Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs. Now, what can we learn from Solomon's writing of Song of Songs? You know, if you just read this at first glance, if you just 
you just jump in here and you just read through this real quick, you're going to say, whoa, that don't belong in the Bible. They said that in the Bible because there's some stuff in here that you're going to say, I'm going to read some stuff today. And some of you mothers are going to be covering your kids' ears or hiding their eyes. Uh, but God included it in the Scripture. And it's inspired by God. So turn with me to Song of Songs in your Bible. You know, if you have a Bible, most of that wisdom literature, you can just take your Bible and split it right in the middle. If you hit in Isaiah, which is probably where you're going to land, go back to the left a little bit. Uh, actually, you'd turn the pages to the right. Uh, it's just right in front of Isaiah. It's between uh, Ecclesiastes and Isaiah, this little book, eight chapters, not very long, but it's full of wisdom for the journey, and it gives us a song to take with us on the journey. This is the third of Solomon's writings. He wrote Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Uh, God gave Solomon. We already studied this a couple of weeks ago. You can watch all these sermons on our website and go back and look. He gave Solomon this great wisdom when Solomon prayed and, and asked for that wisdom. And, you know, this song is probably his favorite. That's why he titled it Song of Songs. It's a song greater than any song Solomon's telling us, or at least any that he wrote. And he wrote, according to... Um, 1 Kings chapter 4, he wrote a thousand and five songs. So it's a great song. It's put here. God gave us this for a reason. It's part of what we call this Old Testament poetry or Hebrew poetry. And we've learned that's not rhyme poetry like our English poetry. It has to do with figurative language, a lot of hyperbole, which is over-exaggeration, uh, there's metaphors and sarcasm. But God has a message for us in this book of the Bible. And a careful study, as you're going to see, will reveal that there's really three main speakers in here. Actually, two, but there's a third. And the first one is in the NIV Bible, which is what I'm preaching out of. It's, it calls her she. And that's a little subtitle when she's speaking, they put in there. Uh, that is actually... Uh, the bride, or referred to as Shulamite in the text, and it's, it's, uh, it's Solomon's bride. Then there's the king, there's Solomon. The NIV puts a subtitle, he. So it's, it's he, and you'll see that in the subtitle. And then there's friends, and that's probably what is called the daughters of Jerusalem here in the text. It's a chorus of people, and uh, it's really the chorus to the verses of this song as you go through. But the NIV has put the she and the friends and the he in here to sort of help us make sense of who's speaking as we go through this. You'll have to put your thinking caps on today as we go through this. I want to read for you the first chapter of this, and you'll get some sense of an idea of what he's talking about as we go through this and the love that this husband and this wife share for each other as we go. Let's read together. Chapter 1, verse 1. Solomon, Solomon's Song of Songs. She, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your lips, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let, us, let the king bring me into his chambers. 
Friends, this is sort of like a chorus. We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. Then she again. How right they are to adore you. Dark am I, yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tents and curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I'm dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I had to neglect. Tell me, you whom I love, where do you graze your flock and where do you rest your sheep at midday? Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? Friends, if you do not know, most beautiful woman, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. He, first time he speaks, I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings and your neck with strings of jewels. We will make your earrings of gold and studded with silver. She, while the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of mirth resting between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyard of Engedi. He, how beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful your eyes are doves. She, how handsome you are, my beloved. Oh, how charming. And our bed is verdant. The beams of our house are cedars and our rafters are firs. Now, a lot of that maybe doesn't make sense, but you begin to see with the language here that Solomon is showing the love that is starting to develop between this young uh, maiden and her husband. It's a beautiful thing. What I want you to see first is this song has a real message about the value of love between a husband and a wife. On a basic level, it praises the joys of marriage. You know, Solomon had, by the end of his life, 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, at the time of writing this, according to chapter 6, verse 8, he only had 60 wives and 80 concubines. But still, uh, he had all these marriages. Now, that was something that kings did in that day. Most of those marriages were for political affiliations. That was the practice of the day. Common opinion is this woman in this was his most favorite loved wife. It is the beautiful, most beautiful woman in the land, mentioned in 1 Kings chapter 1, who was a servant girl who took care of his father David in his old age. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 2 tells us that Solomon took her as his wife. Her name was Abishag of Shunem. And she is referred to here in this as the Shulamite uh, in chapter 6, verse 13. So it's this beautiful woman. She was apparently beautiful. She's called the most beautiful woman in the land. As we look at this, we're going to see these expressions of love and praise that Solomon and Abishag give to each other to express their love for one another. You know, marriage was ordained by God all the way back at the beginning. All the way in the second chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, we see God ordained marriage. It's, uh, apart from our relationship with the Lord, it's probably the most important 
relationship that any of us will ever enter into. Uh, now, it is okay not to be married. In fact, the Apostle Paul praises singleness in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But this is a sacred relationship because it is ordained by God. And it's one that we should enter into not lightly. It's one that God wants us to enter into for permanent until we die. And perhaps uh, when, we, when, we, when one dies, the other one will remarry. That's okay. But it is to be a cherished relationship, an honored and respected relationship. And that means we have to work at it. You know, we stand before God and people, and we make vows to each other when we get married. So we should work to make that marriage be good. As we move on, we read chapter 1. We're not going to read all of the book, but I will tell you a little bit about some of the chapters as we go forward. In chapter 2, the bride, she begins, uh, she's in the palace in Jerusalem, but she goes back and recounts the first time Solomon came to the, her country home to see her, to come courting for her. In chapter 3, she thinks about their separation for a little time, and then she goes into the procession of Solomon getting her and bringing her and the procession that she goes through coming to be married to Solomon. And then there's this famous chapter in chapter 4. It's some beautiful scripture here. I want you to just think through this as I read the verses 1 through 7 in chapter 4. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. This is King Solomon speaking to his bride. Now, he's going to use some language here that's not typical for our day. Listen to what he says. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Now, we probably wouldn't think to do that, although I love the eyes of a dove. They are beautiful if you ever look at them. Um, and often in that day, the women painted their eyes with some makeup above, kind of feathered it out. Maybe it reminded... Uh, Solomon of the tail feathers of a dove is, is what his reference is to. But then get this next line. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hill of Gilead. I would never think to call my wife's hair like goats. But you've got to get the picture here. The goats coming down off the mountain, you know, they, they flowed down from a distance you couldn't tell they were individual goats. It, it just looked like one big stream of these beautiful animals, you know. And goats were often dark colored. And of course, the hair of this Middle Eastern woman would have been dark, maybe even black. And you see those goats streaming down off that mountain. That was a beautiful picture in Solomon's day. Uh, he goes on to say, Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Neither would I think to call my wife's teeth looking like sheep. But that was the whitest of whites. You know, you get to shave the wool off, which was dirty and, and had been there, and underneath was this beautiful white skin and, and little short wool left on that sheep coming up out of the water as they had been washed. It was beautiful. Your lips are like scarlet ribbon. I think that's very poetic, you know, bright red and silky and gorgeous. Your temples behind your veil are like halves of a pomegranate. You know, the pomegranate was a blush red color. It's a compliment he's paying her. Your neck is like the Tower of David built with courses of stone. It, 
On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. You know, it's a picture of this tower on one of the walls in Jerusalem where maybe the soldiers hung their shields when they were not in battle. The sun glimmering off of that was beautiful. He's likening her neck to this tall tower. You know, long necks are, are beautiful. And then, and then her jewelry hanging around her neck. He's saying, look, you're a beautiful woman. And then he goes on in verse 5. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. I ain't going there. Y'all can got to get that, that he's just praising her good looks and her beauty. Verse 6, until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of mirth and the hill of incense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. You see, he's praising her qualities. You know, when's the last time, guys, you did that? Ladies, when's the last time you did it for your husband? You know, not too long ago, I just noticed my wife, and I said, you know, Jeanette, you look especially good today. Thank you, you hadn't said that in a while. It kind of woke me up, you know. We need to do that. Solomon is praising her beauty. That's one of the ways that we express our love to our companion, and it's a good thing. You know, this is beautiful poetry. But behind this beautiful poetry, it reminds us this is a valuable relationship, one that we should work at. And when it's good, let me tell you, it is good. It can be the most important relationship in your life apart from your relationship with God. And God has given us marriage in this relationship for good reason. It is the highest form of a human relationship. It is also both a physical and a sexual relationship that we enter into. You know, to, to build that physical relationship, you've got to spend time together. You've got to hang out. You've got to communicate with each other. You've got to do things that each other enjoy. You've got to spend time pouring into your spouse. And then there's the sexual part of that. That's one of the greatest gifts God has given us. And it should happen on a regular basis. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So if you're... If you're deprived of that relationship, there are going to be, you know, temptations that flow in. So, it's part of the marriage relationship. It was a great gift that God gave us. It's for procreation, to make babies. It's for pleasure, to, to enjoy each other. It's also to build intimacy in this important relationship that we have. You know, one thing, I think I learned this a long time ago. In the marriage relationship, we should not worry so much about what is my spouse doing for me, but what can I do for my spouse? How can I pour myself into my spouse to do things for them? There's a Christian author. Uh, he has written a book called The Five Love Languages. And Gary Chapman is a preacher. He is a uh, uh, family care minister in his church. He's a radio host, a counselor. 
And this book, The Five Love Languages, talks about how different people need to be loved in different ways. He says there are five love languages that we can use. One is acts of service. One is gift giving. One is physical touch. That's non-sexual touch. One is quality time. And the fifth one is words of affirmation. Different people like to be shown love in different ways. And so he goes through these different ways of loving each other. In fact, you can go online, just type in five love languages, and you can take a quiz that will identify what your love language is. And you identify your top two, and then make sure your spouse knows them so they know how you like to be loved. I go through this anytime I do premarital counseling before I marry, uh, especially young couples. We have to know how to express our love in a way that the other person is going to get benefit from it. You know, one of the thoughts that I had as we're going through here, maybe we should not judge our marriage by how our spouse is pouring into us, but we should judge it by how am I pouring into my spouse? How am I loving them? How am I expressing my love to them? i I got to tell on myself just for a minute. When Jeanette and I first started dating, we were 19 years old. I lived at home with mom and dad. I was in my bedroom, and she had left in there my birthday gift. It was a bouquet of flowers. I thought, if this relationship's going anywhere, I just got to set the record straight right now. I'm not a flower. Do I look like a flower guy? You know, I, I don't need flowers. I don't want flowers. It's a waste of money for somebody to give me flowers. Don't give me flowers. When I die, don't put flowers all around me. I don't care about flowers. What I would really like to have, and I told her this, is just pay for a round of golf and let me go play golf. Well, that didn't set too well with her. It hurt her feelings. There was another occasion when I got her a gift. I forget what the gift was, but I got her a card. I thought, this is a big old card. I saw it in the store. It was like this. It was sitting up front on the counter is why it caught my eye. There's a reason why it was up there. It didn't have an envelope to go with it, and it had been discounted. That's my kind of gift right there, a discount gift. So I bought this card. And again, she was coming to my house, and I set it up on the speaker in my room so she would see it. Big happy birthday. It was a really nice card. It just didn't have an envelope. And so she comes in, and she says, uh, Oh, is this my birthday card? And I said, Yeah. She said, Why is it not in an envelope? I said, Well, I got it on discount because it didn't have an envelope. Don't ever tell your wife that you got the, the card on discount. You know, it's, it's not good. It's not going to go well after that. But you see, people need to be loved the way they need to be loved. And we need to do that. And I look at Solomon. I think he's setting a great example of praising his loved one and showing her the great love that he has. You know, one more thing about marriage. If you don't get anything else I say today about marriage, get this. Marriage should be a love triangle. Wait a minute. Love triangle? What are you talking about? Well, you got the husband and you got the wife, and God should be at the top of that and he should be involved. And if you watch what happens when husband and wife grow closer to God, they grow closer to each other. And I always teach this when I go 
through premarital counseling because if you don't get anything else, get that, that the closer you grow to God, the closer you will both grow to each other in your relationship. Listen to the scripture. Not out of Song of Songs, but out of Ecclesiastes by Solomon. Two is better than one because they have good return for their labor. If either one of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can they keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Now get this, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Where's the three come in? He's talking about two. It's God. When you weave God into your marriage, it's going to automatically begin to make your marriage a better thing. So that's the first level of this, of this book, Song of Songs. But this song also points beyond human love to a divine love between God and His people. You know, that's a second level to the book here. Not a lesser level, but another level. And this is really an allegory about the relationship that the Lord has with His people. You know, God is the author of love. 1 John Chapter 4, verse 8 says, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. Now, the Beatles used to sing, All you need is love as though love were God. No, love is not God. God is love. God is the creator. He invented the concept of love. In the Greek language of Jesus' day, they had four words for love. You know, we just have one and we use it as I've said before, we use it for our Doritos, we use it for our spouse, and so it sort of loses its meaning. But they had four words. They had agape is the highest form of love. It's a, it's a kind of love that has respect, and it puts others first, and it cares, and has concern, and wants the best. And most importantly, it's an unconditional love, not based on emotions, but based on a decision. Then there's family love. Uh, that's the word storge, and there's friendship love, the word phileo, and there's uh, romantic love, the word eros. You know, marriage has all four of those kinds of love in it. But this love, this agape love, is the kind of love that God has for us. This unconditional, powerful love that God has. It's the kind of love that Jesus talked about when he said, the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second is likened to it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's the kind of love we're called to have. Your spouse is your closest neighbor. You better love them with that kind of love. You know, in the Old Testament, God was seen, or sometimes uh, Israel was characterized as God's wife and God being the husband. In the church, the church is seen as the bride of Christ. That's sort of symbolic to show the kind of love that God, Christ, has for His people. He loves them like a good husband loves his wife. Uh, Christ, like, like a, a good husband, loves his bride. Now, sometimes for us guys, that's kind of hard to, to buy into that. Maybe that's why Jesus talked about God as Father a lot of times. Because I can relate to the Father-Son relationship and the kind of love that they had. Either case, whether you view God as Father or whether you view Him as, 
as the husband to a bride. God loves you unconditionally. It's amazing the love that he has. It's that agape love, that highest form of love. But you know what? He wants you to return that same kind of love back to him in a relationship with him. I like this. Somebody wrote about God. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. If God had a refrigerator in heaven, it would be covered with stuff to remind him of you. If he had a desk, it would have your picture of you on it. If he had a cell phone, you would be on speed dial. He's crazy about you. God loves you. But you know what? Sin can get in the way of the relationship with God. Despite the fact that he loves you, he's a holy God. And he can't have fellowship with sinful people. And so it separates us from God. Despite the fact that he loves us, he longs for us, we're unholy. So what did God do? He made a provision. God sent his son, Jesus, God in the flesh, to die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin so that you could, through belief in Jesus, be forgiven and restored in your relationship with God. The Bible says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world. Now that's not a place, that's people. It's the people of the world. He so loved them that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. You know, that, this is the message of Solomon's song to help us understand the love that God has for us and the kind of love that God wants us to return to Him. So here's our connection. To experience love, both on a human level and the divine level, we must commit to invest both time and effort. You know, love takes a commitment on the part of the one that's doing the loving. I think we see that from both the, the, the bride and the groom in this Song of Solomon. We see the love that they express for one another. You know, anything you commit to is going to take time. It's going to take you, you working at it. And for your marriage to grow and thrive, you have to spend time with your spouse. You have to pour into them. You have to do things that will meet their desires. But you know what? To build your relationship with God, you've got to spend time with Him. And He wants you to spend time with Him in worship. He wants you to spend time in His Word growing and and developing that relationship, praying with Him. He wants you to spend time using the gifts that He gives you to serve Him. He wants you to spend time, uh, spend some of your money giving to Him to support His work in the world. And He wants you to live your life in a way that will glorify Him. You look on some of our literature here, we say it like this, worship together, grow spiritually, serve humbly, Give cheerfully and live faithfully. And that's what God wants. That's how God wants us to express our love back to Him. In the last chapter of this, she, the bride, she says something here. I want to read chapter 8, verse 6 and 7. Place me like a seal over your heart like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like fire 
like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. You see what he's saying? This love, it should burn for the other person. Water can't put out the love that this bride has for her king, the kind of love that God wants us to have for him. And he says there at the end, it's priceless. You couldn't give everything that you own in your house for this kind of love. God wants you to have that kind of love for Him. He loves you that way. I'm going to tell you, if you will invest your time and your effort to build in your marriage relationship and in your relationship at God with God, when you come to your final days, you will not be sorry. In fact, you will be rewarded greatly. Your heart will be full. This is Solomon's wisdom. This is the Word of God. It's given to us. You know, as we close this series, I want to read a section of Scripture. And I want you to think about making a commitment to read all five of these books. You know, if you started today, you'd probably finish by the end of the year if you read just one chapter a day. But I want you to think, as we close out, from one of the books of wisdom, it's actually from the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, Just listen. I'm not going to put this up on the screen, I don't think. But just listen to these words. Ecclesiastes, excuse me, Proverbs chapter 3. My son, or my daughter, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commandments in your heart. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Beautiful scripture. Take it with you. Do what it says. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for Solomon. Lord, for the wisdom that you gave him and for his writings. We thank you for all the writings that we have in this wisdom literature. Help us to study it, to, to dig deep. Sometimes we won't understand, but if we pray, Lord, ask questions of the text you'll reveal to us your message because you want us to have the wisdom of Solomon as we journey through this life that you've given us here on earth and by being that wise person that godly wisdom Lord will one day end in eternity with you because of the love you have for us so we're thankful for that be with us as we go as we leave this place and give us your wisdom Lord for the journey. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.